This is Chad Brashears, and you're listening to Never In My Wildest Dream podcast. This podcast is about creating a behind-the-scenes look with coaches, fans, and reporters from our point of view, sharing cool stories as only we've lived them. The goal is for you to learn something new to help your life and allow yourself to take a break from everyday chaos and let us give you a behind-the-scenes look into our world. Never In My Wildest Dreams podcast begins in... Good morning and welcome to Never In My Wildest Dream podcast, Friday, January the 15th, 2021, day 15 of 365 in this new year. Hope everybody's having a great Friday. Little review from sports yesterday. Big news in the NFL, Urban Meyer is now the new coach for the Jacksonville Jaguars. Rumor has it he will be making around $12 million annually at this position for the next five years. He has Looks like $76 million in cap space, so that'll be interesting to see who he can bring in. Going back yesterday over NCAA basketball, I mentioned yesterday that Gonzaga was a 25.5 point favorite. They win 95-70, to they do not cover. Imagine scoring 95 points, only giving up 70 and not covering the line in Vegas. Tomorrow should be some great games. Ohio State goes to Illinois in the top 25 matchup. Missouri travels to Texas A&M. I do believe that Buzz will get that done and there will be an upset of Texas A&M tomorrow. Iowa State travels to Kansas. Kansas should beat up on them and get themselves back in the the winning ways in the Big 12 there. Iowa State's 0-5 in the Big 12. Michigan, the number 7 Michigan Wolverines travel to number 23 Minnesota. That'll be a good game. In some ACC action, Virginia travels to Clemson. Louisville travels to Miami. And the nightcap, Gonzaga, number one, will go to St. Mary's. After speaking with the Leaf yesterday, I wanted to make sure I hit on some NHL scores as well. Looks like the Washington Capitals won yesterday. Today's games, the uh, Capitals are still playing the Sabres in New York. And the Penguins travel to Philadelphia for their second game of the season. Looking forward to today's show. I know Kevin will be able to be on today. We've been texting back and forth. I'm excited about that. Have Tim Kelby on as well to discuss NFL and the Browns. It is NFL Divisional Playoff Weekend. I can think of no better way than to speak with some guys who are passionate about their teams, passionate about sports, have a great insight. I look forward to giving that to you guys today. We will be back here shortly. Never in my wildest dreams podcast begins in three, two, one. Welcome back to Never in My Wildest Dream podcast here on Friday, January the 15th. Kevin's on the phone. It's birthday weekend. Larry Bird year. Happy birthday, buddy. Thank you. How's uh how's 33 feel? Uh, not too bad so far. I haven't had uh too many aches and pains today, like I normally do, but it's uh, it's not bad. I'm sure it'll get a feel a little, feel a little uh, older here this afternoon, a little later, oh. a little bit more in the evening. Oh, as you get into your uh, possible, you know, like bullet drinking night or something. Yeah, yep. <laughs> um, any plans for the weekend? Anything we're gonna, anything you're gonna do? I know we're getting together on Sunday for some uh, some food and hanging out, but uh, what's tomorrow? Tomorrow, watching a game. Right. Kickoff. It's game day. Game day. What's the weather going to be? Have you seen? Uh, I haven't looked it up. I know there was snowing up there a little bit today. and uh, I know it's changed a little bit from 
earlier in the last week when they announced the times, I think it was a little colder, a little low, like 18 or something during the night there. But I think it's a little more warmer. So it might be, I don't know, 20, 25 now rather than 18 or in the teens. But wind chill factor is going to be a little uh, a little chilly for people coming from L.A. for sure. Saturday, there is a morning to early afternoon snow shower is the call. Chance of snow is 50%. It's going to be, it's going to be 27 with uh, 10 to 15 mile an hour winds, which means it's going to be cold. I know Jared Goff was practicing yesterday with gloves. Saw that on ESPN. He's wearing gloves to see if he can get a good feel on the football while they're doing their wet football drill. Do you remember watching Pat McAfee? Yeah, I was going to say, you remember watching Pat McAfee? Aaron thinks that's the best drill ever invented for football players. Yeah, he loves that drill. (laughs) As he politely said, that's the stupidest drill I think anybody's ever come up with. Yeah, because the ball's not going to be soaking wet like it's coming out of a bucket. Yeah, not at that level. I don't know what wearing gloves inside of uh, 70 degrees is going to do for you either, be able to hold on to football, but... Yeah, what do I know? Uh, I, well, here's the thing, you know, and, and I had a couple notes jotted down that we could chat about while we were uh, getting on the show. But, um, you know, one thing that I think, you know, both you and I have, have had our, our battles of injuries and different things that we fought through, you know, during our careers. And, you know, you got the thumb with golf, you got ribs with Aaron Donald, and you got Cup's knee. Uh, we'll hit on all three of them. I know what it's like to have a jam finger or have, you know, a, a finger that's just not feeling right. And, you know, obviously you played baseball in February, and that's, you know, the best time to ever play college baseball is, you know, February the 15th when it's, you know, just as cold as it's going to be in Green Bay throwing stuff. His hand can't feel good holding that football in that weather tomorrow. It just can't. Yeah, especially with, you know, you're, I mean, you broke your thumb. But, yep, uh, I did. You know, coming, coming back with, uh, what, three pins in it and back within three weeks and surgery and, you know, just say shy of a month of whenever he broke it. You know, that's that's a quick turnaround. And, you know, being able to hold on to the, a slick football that's, you know, now potentially snow involved and, uh, you know, be a little wet, a little moisture, a little humidity. And it, that's 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 going to be tough and be different. I you know I thought, saw something, I think, you know, I forget who put it up, either NFL or, or who, that said that he has had no, games under 30 degrees, he's had no touchdowns and yeah. five picks. Right. Especially that continues. But uh, it's going to be, you know, some guys are a little shell-shocked. And I wish it was colder. But for them, you know, coming from L.A., it is cold. And your lungs, you know, talking about um, Aaron Donald and his ribs, you know, rib cartilage, I've never had any rib injuries uh, that I can remember. I know I hurt my ribs a little bit in high school, but nothing to the effect of what those guys are doing. And, you know, him being able to, you know, breathing that cold air in and expanding those ribs is going to be it's going to be hard for him, I think. I mean, you know, I'm a big guy when it comes to, like, hot weather. You know, I, uh, I'm a beach dude, Jimmy Buffett, tanning, you know, that whole gambit is 89 degrees in L.A. today. Yeah. That's and like that's like perfect weather for all of that stuff. And and in Green Bay there it's snowing. I mean, that to me is a big difference and I don't give a shit what time your flight takes off. You still got to land. I am sure they're going to land in uh, Appleton and uh probably drive up. I don't know if they have walkthroughs or anything like that. I don't know how the NFL works, but yeah, when they land in Appleton today or tonight it's going to be a nice uh, cool evening for the Rams. Called up Aaron Donald and I've never really hurt my ribs. Uh, per se, but I did hurt my shoulder in college. It subluxed, and I uh, was fighting through a screen, and it subluxed. And I just remember the pain that went through this my side, 
my chest, my, uh, you know, my back. And I can only imagine it's similar situation, hurt to breathe, it hurt to move. You know, your core, as you know, as a baseball player is your key point of everything when you're an athlete an athlete and you're athletic. So, I mean, for him to have to go breathe different air, a little bit cooler, a little bit sore. I mean, will he be effective? Yes. He's that good. Will he be effective the way he was in Seattle? I hope not, but I also have looked at enough of this to see that he probably will not be. Um, yeah, I tend to agree. I think, I, I mean, I hope he's not, you know, as effective as he was in, in um, Seattle. But I think Seattle also kind of skated by for a number of a number of games this year. I think when I looked it up, there was 11 games that they won by touchdown or less. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think they skated by, weren't really as good as they thought. Um, you know, and it, but it's still on the flip side, you look at, at Aaron Donald and, and how impactful he is, but they lost to the Jets. So, you know, I, I would be a tale of two of two teams maybe, but, you know, they have number one defense and scoring defense, and we have the number one scoring offense, so there's a lot to, to go with, with that. And they have to come into Green Bay and play. And like you said, it's going to be uh, colder and all those, more, you know, kind of a little more uh, – respirations he's going to have and, and kind of moving them ribs out more and his lungs expanding, you know, I, I would think that he, he would be, he would be hurting a little bit, but then again, I'm not Aaron Donald and, you know, I don't know what his pain tolerance is and how he's going to transpire, but I think, I think he'll, uh, he'll be effective, but hopefully not as effective as he was. We'll be interesting to see how, uh, how many shots he gets in his side there. I pulled up the uh, Rams, schedule here just to kind of have an idea of looking at, at things a little bit here here's why it possibly is a scary game to a point they beat four playoff teams this year um but then their losses were seahawks jets 49ers dolphins 49ers and bills so you know they they're so far up and down um it's just going to be interesting to see what mcveigh has them rolling and all that kind of stuff cam Akers actually has been rushing pretty well so it'd be interesting to see if we can not let him be, uh, you know, Dalvin Cook and make him more, you know, Derrick Henry. Um, and then Cooper Cup, he hasn't practiced this week. So from from what yeah. they were talking about on ESPN yesterday, he has not practiced at all this week. He was not even part of the nine-minute stretch session yesterday. So that, that would be interesting. On defense, you know the one the one guy that they're so big on is uh, who's the the one cornerback who's saying he's going to shut down Devontae. Jalen Jalen Ramsey. Yeah, you know what? The last time somebody ran their gums like that, Aaron decided to turn him into a cookbook, and I have a feeling Jalen Ramsey's going to be really uh, upset at the end of this game after Aaron goes right at him because. The best part about Devontae is he'll get passes early. I can only imagine that's what it's going to look like. But if you just start locking in on him, you know, Tunyon's going to be a big factor. And, you know, MVS is going to be a big factor. Lazard. And then we have all the dudes in the backfield. You know, when you have a healthy Aaron Jones, Jamal Williams, and and A.J. Dillon, I really like our chances. I feel pretty good about it. It's going to be a great game. I'm looking forward to 435 tomorrow afternoon. Um, I know with that, with me not being on social media and you're on social media, what's Bob saying? What's Big Bob up in Green Bay saying about this? Uh, not, I mean, Bob, Bob's Bob. You know, uh, he's, he's optimistic, writing some articles about, you know, about Rodgers and his interception rate and, 
and how that's going. He's, he's talked about, I think the biggest thing that he's talked about this week was the, uh, the COVID scare with uh, Van Leer coming in and, and uh, seeing how he's, he's maybe impacting the team or negatively impacting the team, but it doesn't seem like, like anything is um, too, too bad right now. I know he's given some updates on that and saying that, you know, uh, that everybody's been playing or practice yesterday. Uh, he talked about, and, and the only one that wasn't was uh, Kings and Kiki because concussion. But uh, him being out, Snacks comes in, so uh, you know he'll get so uh, probably an expanded role this week. Yeah, Snack is Snack Attack. He's been able to be in with us for three weeks now. I know he was made active for the Bears game, but didn't see any any snaps. I mean, it'll be nice to have him. Uh, have him this week, especially clogging up that line. He reminds me a little B.J. Raji action. That's who I kind of see him as. Um, well, hopefully he does what B.J. did against the uh, Bears in 2010 to intercept, uh, I think it was Cutler. Yeah, it was. So here is uh, Aaron's, you know, you sent this out earlier today to the uh, the Cheesehead um, snap, or uh, what do you want to call it, group chat. And uh, so it says, playing in the cold, Aaron Rodgers. In playoff games below 30 degrees, he's 5-1. and one. He completes 64% of his passes. He throws for basically 270 yards. He has 11 TDs and two interceptions. It's pretty good. That is pretty good. Hopefully it continues. You know, the, the, I, I think he'll do his thing. You know, maybe a little minor uh, role this week because they do have a good secondary. They do communicate pretty well. I think the... Uh, run game for us with the you know the three headed three headed guys you talked about earlier, I think that may be a little more expanded this week, especially at home with the footing and, and all that. We know where we're going, they don't, so you know, I think that may may be beneficial on both sides of the ball with uh, defensively and uh, both sides offensively with running and, and passing. Here's one wild stat we haven't really talked about this one on the show that I think is is pretty crazy. Aaron Rodgers finished the season for the Packers with more touchdown passes than punts. Aaron That's threw for 48 TDs, and we punted 46 times. That, that, yeah, that stats... Eight of those punts were against the Bucks when we lost 38 to 10. 38-10, and we looked, we looked treacherously bad. I mean, we looked awful against those guys. And, uh, you know, I... Uh, I just look at that stat and kind of laugh a little bit. That's that's an ungodly number there. And I think I read something where Aaron's thrown, was it 89 interceptions and 6,857 com, com, completions or passes? Yeah. Passes. 89 that's, picks and 6,857 passes. That's, uh, and he joked, you know, in that article, he joked about possibly getting to 500 touchdowns before his 100th pick. And that's very, uh, if you have a season like this that he did next year, you know, you're adding, uh, you know, going to 94 picks and 48 touchdowns if that happens. And, you know, he very well could be, I don't know what his number is now, I think it's 412, but it could very well knock him into 500 touchdowns before it's 100 pick. With that, and that, that's an unbelievable stat. I mean, here, here's the stat. I, I did this while, while you were talking. <clears throat> 89 picks to 6,857 passes. That's .0129 passes. Every one out of that is what he throws a pick in. So that's kind of that's kind of fun to uh, you know look at that that stat. Um, you texted me earlier this week. Barstool Sports is doing that big Barstool fund, and Aaron gave five hundred thousand dollars to El Presidente Dave Portnoy. I think that's pretty awesome. Um, you know he 
he's really stepped up, I think, in the last couple weeks to give what I would say is pretty good money to these guys. And, you know, it is pretty awesome to see how he's reached out, which he didn't do before. He seemed more reserved, but he seems a lot more active on social media and, you know, through different podcasts now to be able to have these conversations. Yeah, I think that, um, I think, you know, that's for one, for Dave to do it and El Prez to go ahead and start giving money and doing these things. I think well, I updated this morning or last night, I can't remember when I saw it, but it was like 120 businesses or something, small businesses that they're going to, 180,000 people have donated to it. And, and Aaron hit the nail on the head when he said that, um, you know, this is people helping people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know he kind of, he kind of land blasted the government. He did. Which there were some, some articles written about on. Uh, about Rogers talking about the government, which is true. I mean, you know, we're talking about, uh, you know, people that are in America that are struggling and, and businesses being shut down and we're sending money to Israel and Egypt and, you know, Pakistan or wherever in a coronavirus bill that should be, it should be, you know, three pages here. This is what Americans are going to get, you know, not 5,500 pages. Right. And look, I get it. You know, there's interpolitical inter- politics and, and working that I don't comprehend or don't get, but, um, you know, it's it, it stinks because you know people people are hurting, and Aaron donating that money, which is phenomenal. And I know he's going to get some of his guys to to go through and get things and and uh, donate, which is awesome. Yeah, I think he called it. Didn't you say he called out his he called out the Packers, the organization, and the Bucks organization? Didn't you say he called out those guys? He, yeah, I know he called out the I know he called out the Packers. Uh, you know, he's a minority owner for the Bucks. Yeah. So I think he can call it. Call them out, and uh, you know, John is there, and have him. He signed that crazy contract, and give some money to people that need it, because you know, and it, there's a lot of people acquiring. And Elon Musk got on board, so that's you know, that dude's him getting on board is humongous, because his his uh, net worth went from 27 billion to over 185 billion last year, just one year. So wealthiest um, man in the world. He passed Bezos. Yeah. Which is which is yeah, unbelievable. Yeah, which is he he just flew past Bezos. Um, I know you're busy. I know yesterday you were playing uh, Inspector Clouseau for a little bit. Um, yeah. I know I know you're a busy guy, and I know it's your birthday, and I want to get you back to work. I don't want to get you in any trouble, but uh, I appreciate you coming on the show. I uh, I love having you on. I'm looking forward to getting together tomorrow with you and Dad and watching the game and uh, cheering our, our dudes on. Um, stay safe out there. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks for the birthday wishes. Thanks for having me on. Do you know, getting you up here on my lunch break, so yep. uh, was good. But I appreciate it. Thank you, and uh, I'll see you all tomorrow. All right, buddy. Talk to you later. See ya. All right. Bye. Having him on. We uh, we go back and forth a lot. We argue a lot. We agree a lot. But uh, always look forward to game days with him. It's uh, it's one of those things. Like I said, we have a group chat. It's Dad, Kevin, and I. We call ourselves the Cheeseheads, and uh, you know we a lot of. Texts go back and forth about weather and reports and what ESPN says. And, you know, really looking forward to tomorrow. Also looking forward to my next guest. Tim Kelby is going to be on here. We're going to talk about the Cleveland Browns and their first playoff win on the road since 1969. Kansas City played the Chiefs, and uh, I look forward to talking to Tim about that. He will be on here shortly. Never in my wildest dreams podcast begins in. Three, two. One. Back to Never in My Wildest Dream podcast. Looking forward to having Tim Kelby on here today. We're going to talk a little bit about Cleveland, the Chiefs, what Cleveland is like when they have big wins there in the city. High school basketball, college basketball, just kind of 
catching up on a whole little bit of everything. And I'm going to throw in Urban Meyer thoughts as well. So, Tim, thanks for being on the show. Certainly. Good to be here. Hey, uh, Cleveland. You know, I'm, I'm, lying, yeah. I'm lying in bed watching the game on the, uh, the television. 14 seconds in, hike over Ben's head. And I'm thinking, God, they're going to get up, get like a safety and not a touchdown because they couldn't fall on the ball fast enough. What was going through your mind? Oh, I'll tell you what, I jumped up so high, I thank goodness I wasn't in a bar because I would have knocked a couple of bottles over. Uh, with that. I, I couldn't believe it. Here, it's, it was ecstatic, I mean, happiness, joy, everything. But at the same time, I'm thinking, oh, this can't has got, oh boy, you know, too good to be true Right. Uh, feeling. Uh, but uh, that just set the tone. So uh, for the Browns. I mean, it goes too good to be true. And then you get an, it, I don't know, I went downstairs to get some food and I came back up, it was 14 nothing. What exactly happened when Big Ben stepped back out on the on the field? Was it a turnover? Oh, what it, was exactly? a, it was a tip pass. The tip pass interception. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. And, uh, uh, it's, you know, they so obviously it just set him up at a short field. Yep. And before you know it, Biner's breaking down the left side. Uh, and boom, fourteen nothing, and then twenty one so, nothing. Yeah, so that was that was nice, and I just love seeing you know the close ups of Big Ben coming off, shaking his head. <laughs> We're gonna get back to that. I wrote, I just wrote something down on that. On your opinion, it goes twenty one nothing, and at twenty one yeah, nothing, as you're, you're really ver- thinking, you're really thinking at that time, uh, is the world coming to the to an end? <laughs> <laughs> you know, you haven't won there in seventeen years. Yeah, something's gonna something's gonna happen. Yeah, is is the sieve gonna break and it's all gonna feel great and yeah. then you know right and then you get to twenty eight to nothing in the first quarter and you set the record for the most points scored in a playoff in the quarter. Yeah, by a visiting team in the in the first quarter, um, and you know, and I started thinking when they hit twenty eight, um, I started thinking right away the Tennessee game uh, several weeks ago down you know at Tennessee. Yep. You know the Browns had a thirty-five to three lead, uh, and everything just clicked for them that day. Right. Um, obviously, Pittsburgh helped them out a little bit on this game, mm-hmm. but look what happened with Tennessee—they nearly lost that game. So you're thinking the same way. Here we go. Let's hold on to our. Make sure we got our uh, seat belts uh, tightly fastened. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, but, my. Uh, you know, 28 points, here's my thought. I'm like, God, get to like 31 or something. I'm going back to 28, and I'm thinking like, you know, New England and the Falcons, like that 28 point just has like a little dirty taste to it. Mm-hmm. Just get to some other number than 28, right? Well, I thought 35. I, I was thinking 35 because they, they got the ball coming out to start the second half. Right. And, and I'm thinking, oh, you know, if they can get down there and get 35 on the board right away, you know, then I'm feeling better. Right. But obviously that didn't happen. And, uh, you know, I was surprised at how loose the Browns became on defense in the secondary. Mm-hmm. Uh, no wonder Roethlisberger threw 60 times. I mean, all he had to do was look for 9, 10, 11 yards over the middle. Right. Uh, because they were playing so loose. But if you notice later in the game, uh, after Pittsburgh... Uh, uh, started making a little threat out of it. You know, they tightened up a little bit. Yeah, they did. And and they and they were really, really making they were making it tough for the receivers. And uh, and 
and then the defense, some of those big paws got up, and a couple knocked passes. Another ball was tipped. Yep. Uh, for an interception, so so they rose back up to the occasion. They did, uh, which I think is the is the mark of this team. And even more impressive was the fact of how many people they had not did not have on that team. How many regulars were not playing? And then a couple of them that they did have on the line got hurt. And the one kid, or the one guy, uh, the tackle that done comes in and does a great job. Uh, and he ends up getting hurt. But, um, you know, it's, uh, they really held, they, they really, really held their, uh, their own coming down the stretch. And that was, that was a, a plus for the Browns because there's been a few times, there've been a few times where they've had leads and uh, think of the playoff game, yep. uh, several years ago, you know, and Pittsburgh ends up winning 36, 33 mm-hmm. Browns had a big lead. They did. In that game, they did. Uh, in fact, I think it was twenty-four nothing at one point. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you know, you know, history, history had a good chance of repeating itself uh, at one point in time. So I'm kind of pulling up some stats here while we're talking, and the uh, the first play, the first offensive play for the Browns, doesn't he hit Jarvis Landry for like forty over the middle? Yep, sure did. I mean, and I'm just sitting there like, wow. This this, yep. this this he hit this, him over the middle and uh, Landry went toward the uh, right sidelines and uh, made a nice move uh, that got him another probably got him another I think ten twelve yards down the sideline. Yep. And then they then Pittsburgh does go down and score on what I'm going to sit here and say a very questionable fourth and one call. I I didn't I think they not got believe it. that ain't that some shit. They did not get that. They didn't get it. That was uh, that. You do, uh, you know. There's a point in time, no matter what, where you're at in the game, or where you're at on the field, you just you got to trust your players. Yep. And uh, that that really was something that was uh, that was a shocker. Yeah, it was. But I love the fact that you know, <clears throat> even though they gave up seven, I thought, okay, here we go. There's a minute and forty four on the clock. And they're just gonna, you know, basically take it into the locker room. It's gonna be twenty-eight to seven, with a little bit of momentum starting to shift back to the black and gold because it's a home game. No, Baker says, "Screw that, we're going right down the field," and he does. That's not his style. It, it, no, he he's just loose and and he's and he's got that swagger with him that mm-hmm. we're gonna go score, and they do. And I mean, I know you had him to a field goal. At the end of the the half, well, I think too, too, Chad. One of the things was about him in this game. He knew because of the players that were missing. He knew that he had he had to have a mature mentality Mm -hmm. uh, about himself going into that game. Absolutely, and I think that that's what he did. He proved to be a leader. He proved to be a quarterback in that football game against Pittsburgh. He won a lot of fans over in the uh, city, didn't he? I'll tell you, he's won the last half of the season. Uh, looking, you know, you look at all the uh, the talks, you know, sites from Cleveland, and you know, all the stories. Is that a lot of the things that have been talked about the fans? You know, did we make a mistake? Who can we get rid of? How can we get rid of him? Right. For who? The first half of the season, 
all of that stuff every Monday morning was was a day's worth of of uh, talk. And but that's you don't hear that. You don't see hardly any of that now. Which is that, and good for him. I mean, he's he is the first one that, if I'm not mistaken, your first win in a while. Wasn't he the starting quarterback, or he came in that game and led you guys to a win there, which was a big deal. Yeah, yeah, um, it was. It was. He came in late in the first quarter, uh, and then he went out. But then he came in and he played the whole second quarter or the whole second half, and uh, that was that was the beginning of his era in Cleveland. So I'm going to fast. He's making everybody. He's making everybody forget. About the Tim Couches, he uh, is. <laughs> you know, and all you know, and all those guys uh, from the past. Because you know, goodness only knows that we've had a string of uh, duds. I mean, I remember when I was on social media seeing the pictures of the the Browns jersey where they have like every name who's been the quarterback <laughs> over top. Like it's just one <laughs> below the next, you know. Um, but I think he's kind of cementing himself as a guy that really could be there for a while. In that I actually think that these are first, and I don't think I'm forgetting anybody in between, but I think that he's got a chance to be the first long-tenured quarterback in Cleveland since Brian Stipe. Wow. I don't remember any, any others in between there uh, that have had success uh, since Brian Stipe, and that was, that was an unfortunate, but that's another discussion of the Ice Bowl game against Oakland in the championship. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, that was a Jack Tatum day. Yes, it was. Uh, you remember him. Yep, he, I do. Yeah. He, uh, Tatum, Tatum blasted, a, <laughs> blasted a game away from the Browns. Yeah, right he did. In front, and I was right in front of it in the dog pound. What's it like it sitting in the dog two pound? Two degrees that day. <laughs> what, what's the dog pound like? Uh, well, the new one is not nearly like, like it was in the old stadium. Because the old state baseball stadium, municipal stadium, the field ran from home plate straight out to uh, center field bleachers. Okay, and so they were—I mean, you take the take the goal, the back of the goalposts, and the front row of the dog pound on an angle downward was like maybe 15 feet away from the back line of the end zone, and it was it was humanely. Uh, uh, it was out of this world. Uh, probably on any, any given home game, half the people in that section were all had all garbed up in any kind of thing that they could think of. Uh, it, it was unbelievable. You talk about harassing players from the other team and hounding players. I mean, that was a great place to be. And sometimes, you know, there would be people from opposing teams that would manage to get manage to get tickets and get in there. Oh, they were taking their lives in their hand. Ruthless, now, wasn't at, it? At the new stadium, uh, at now at First Energy, it sits. It's it's in the same premise down on the right hand side. Right. Going, uh, you know, uh, it's the, it sits back a little bit more, but it's the same idea. Uh, but it's not separated. It's, it's not the old dog pound. That was it. Uh, you were down there and you were by yourselves and going up the scoreboard. But now it's part of this. It's part of the stadium. And it really, it's wild, but it's just not like it was in the, in the old days. But now it might, it might change now. I tell you, if they keep doing this, it might change. So no, I'm gonna... it will, but I'll tell you one thing. I'll tell you one in town, uh, uh, just absolutely went berserk. 
uh, after that game. Oh, I bet. I... From past experiences, from the old days of the Browns and with the Indians. Uh, anytime something, you know, playoff-wise, championships, good like that, oh, my goodness. The town just was absolutely uh, gaga. It, it was wild. And I guarantee you, uh, oh, jeez, uh, downtown at the, the square and the flanneries and the, the warehouse, uh, oh, my goodness. Now, have you but heard there from were anybody? Hundreds of people that greeted them because see, normally a bus, normally they would bus to Pittsburgh okay. uh, for any given game, but this time they flew on a charter. Okay, because so that allowed them a little bit more time at home. Gotcha. Uh, so this time they chartered a flight in. Uh, so when they got back to the airport and uh, got off the uh, planes and got bussed back to the terminals, there were hundreds of people. At uh, I think it was. Uh, 230, 2, 2 30, waiting for him. That's awesome. Yeah, it was wild. And, and, you know, that's the one thing that, you know, and that's why I enjoy having these conversations and just talking sports because Cleveland's professional teams seem to have a college-like feel with them. Do you agree with that? They know how to celebrate. <laughs> <laughs> they know how to celebrate. Believe you me. Uh uh, I I mean not just the Browns, but I can tell you how the Indians. Mm-hmm. Uh, one specific time we were at this about Buffalo Wings. Okay, and it was right on Euclid Avenue, in, uh, not far from where I lived, on the east side, and uh, it was against uh, uh, it was against the Red Sox in one in the uh, uh, divisional playoffs uh, game, and this game went like thirteenth uh, inning, I think it was, and. Uh, uh, oh, who was the catcher? Uh, Tony Pena. Okay. Delivered a home run. It won the game. And, oh, my goodness, at that hour of the morning, uh, who cared if a marshal came in? Uh, who cared if you served a beer later, you know, past 2.30? <laughs> it, it was unbelievable. And it was. And I was there for every minute of all of them. Uh, you know, it's, it was wild. Did it that. was just part of the atmosphere and anything. Right. I mean, even when, even when the Cavaliers... Uh, won their NBA championship. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, downtown was a mess. Uh, and I say that in a good way because there were thousands right. thousands of people. They were all, you know, all the LeBron followers. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's a wild, uh, it's a wild town and they know how to do it right. I, I can tell you way back when, when the, the Coliseum was first built, with the Cavaliers came in, yep. they were able, after it was built, they were able to move from the old arena downtown, which sat 8,000 people. You know, in the opening of that place out at uh, Richfield, a guy, you know, Nick Maletti was the owner of the Cavs, and he was also the owner of the, uh, the Coliseum, and he had a lot of uh, big-time, a lot of big-time ties and so who opened up the very first event at uh, Coliseum was uh, Old Blue Eyes, uh, Frank Sinatra. Really? Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. 20, 22,000 people. <laughs> and then uh, but there were some fabulous nights at that place that covered games and tons of entertainment that came in uh, to that place. But eventually they, they decided to uh, move back downtown. And How that's far? when they built the arena next to... Uh, next to uh, the baseball stadium. 
In, in the baseball stadium, if I'm not mistaken, weren't they the first one to have like those toothbrush lights? Didn't they kind of that would that was a big thing with their cement? Yeah, stadium, right? you looked at them. You when if you weren't familiar with them, you look at that going up, and uh, you would look at those lights. And, Man, these things. How are they going to light a field? Uh, they're very unusual, but I tell you what, they fit in right in with the aesthetics of uh, of the uh, ballpark. Uh, you know, if you if people haven't seen the Cleveland facilities, you know, the baseball park and the arena are right right on top of one another. Right, and then uh, is the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame pretty close too? And yeah, down the street, about uh, three four blocks, uh, is the uh, Rock and Roll. That's right. Uh, one of the greatest treasures that you're ever going to, you could ever walk through. And if you haven't been there, you have to go. I, I have <laughs> not it, been there and I'd like to go. I do want to go to that. And, and the uh, thing about the, the Hall of Fame is you have the rock and roll. And then you go down south uh, to uh, Canton, Ohio. Uh, you know, it's only you know 45 miles away. You go to the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Uh, and that's another and uh, fact. Oh, what a, that's another fabulous place uh, to visit. And uh, and I remember from when. Well, I was born across the street from what became the Hall of Fame. Okay. Uh, the highway there. And at the time when they built that, twelve years later, it was one wing. It was it one building, one little building, round building. You know, it looked like a, a turnpike uh, stop. Gotcha. Uh, but then eventually they kept adding wing after wing after wing, and, you know, and uh, they remodeled the whole front. Uh, I took my wife there last last year uh, before, you know, we were there a year, several months before COVID hit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's like eight wings now. It's just unbelievable. And the rock and roll, which when it was first built, was one floor. Okay. I was, uh, like I think it's on its fifth now. Oh wow! Yeah, it's uh, it's some kind of place. Both of them. And aren't they building? If I'm not mistaken, don't they build? Didn't they build like a new or remodel the stadium there where they have like the Hall of Fame game or something like that? Didn't they remodel that? Not yeah, too next long door. Ago? Yeah, they did. Uh, Fawcett Stadium, uh, which uh, used to be uh, about twenty thousand, but it really was past its time and that that was renovated uh i think four years ago Mm -hmm. and that uh, they really they really made a beauty out of that it uh uh it's absolutely totally modern uh facility and that's where the annual every year that's where mckinley i'm sure the school's uh, maslin Okay. And uh, Canton McKinley, uh, you know, that's every other year. That's where that game's played. Plus at Maslin, you know, you had 20,000 people for a high school game. Yeah, I've heard uh, of Maslin. Are they like orange and black? Uh, Maslin's? Yeah. They sure are. That's they what sure I thought. Are. And you know what? Every every baby that is uh, born... Gets a hoodie uh, or a hat or something. Gets a little Paul Brown, gets a, gets a Maslin Tiger football. That's what it was. It was a football put in their thing. That's mm-hmm. right. I did Absolutely. see a documentary on that. I thought that was really cool. Yeah. I actually got to play foot. I played a game there in high school. Uh, what a play. <laughs> that was all. You were in awe. 
because it was my sophomore year we started because we had won the state championship in Ohio. Okay. In Class A, yeah, in, uh, in 1965, and the runner-up, uh, the second-place team school was uh, it was Marion Catholic, a uh, Central Ohio area school. So you know, here we are. We got two privates ruling uh, Class A, uh, and then my dad, he he. Um, kind of acted unofficially as the athletic director of school. And he happened to know the coach and AD pretty good at Marion Catholic, uh, Max Ross. And he also happened to know the guys at, uh, at Maslin and uh, Canton Lincoln mm-hmm. who were scheduled to play the opener uh, that year. So he worked out a deal with our originally scheduled opponent to open the season with Marion Catholic's uh, opponent to open the season to get them agree to play one another so that we could hook up and play each other to open the season our, my sophomore year at Paul Brown Stadium. And so we played the first game of a doubleheader and the second game was Maslin and Lincoln. And if I'm not mistaken... That was, that was something else. Because by, by the time the second game started, you know, there's 17,000 people in the seats. And they have like a little overhang on the one side, right? Do I remember yeah, that do. on the one yeah. side? It, uh, the, uh, the home side goes up and it's one of those uh, you know, fairgrounds type of uh, overhangs on, uh, over the seating. Yeah, it looks like it belongs in the movie The Natural. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. It reminded me a little bit of Buffalo, the War Memorial Stadium. And you know that's where they shot The Natural. Yeah, sure that, do. That was, that's that why was, I brought it up. That's, look, look at that. We're just playing off of one another. Um, there you go. I was thinking of you during the game, so we're going to flash back real quick to the game because I'm thinking with a minute 30 to go in the third quarter, Cleveland 35, Pittsburgh 23, and you have to punt. Mm-hmm. Where's your mm-hmm. mind at? Like, oh, shit, I mean, here it comes. Where's what? So I, said, I said, where was your mind at? Like, oh, shit, here it comes. Oh, here here yeah, comes the rush. much where it was uh, <laughs> uh, the whole second half, yeah. <laughs> the whole time. You know, you're just waiting for something to happen. Right. Uh, you're just waiting and waiting and, oh, my goodness, you just keep thinking in the back of your mind. You don't want to think it out loud. Uh, you know, it just might happen. Right. So I, back in my mind, I, you know, I'm sitting on the edge of my seat, my got the couch, and, Oh, you know, it, uh, uh, everything's working out our way. Yes. And, oh, my goodness, is this, uh, is this about to happen? But it was scary. It was a little scary because you had that thought in your mind. Absolutely. That something is going to happen. But, uh, you know, but they came through. So they, they score a touchdown. Mm-hmm. Then Pittsburgh scores. And I think they go for right. two and they don't get it, right? They go for two. Uh, and well, they actually went for two twice. Okay. Uh, during it, yeah, they, uh, you know, and he didn't the first time, you know, and I agree with uh, with uh, the, the announcers. You know, they they agreed the first time that he really didn't need to go for two. Mm-hmm. It was early enough in the game. It was early enough in the game that um, that he didn't have to. Right. You know, he one point one or one point one way or the other is not going to hurt. At that at that time of the game, right. But as it ended up, it uh, didn't make any difference for him whatsoever. But psychologically, that was a that was a that had to be a big boost uh, for 
for the boys to stop them. Oh, 100%. And then, you you know, you, they score a touchdown. You guys go down and get a field goal. And then that's when I knew the game was kind of going to be I, in a I, good I spot. I felt a lot better after, field, after the field goal, yeah. And then the, and then the interception. Then there was oh, like yeah. the tip pass yeah. interception was the next drive that you go down and get another field goal and now it's forty eight to twenty nine and the breathing gets a little easier mm-hmm. inside of Tim's yeah, household. I, and, and I was you know and the thing was uh, about getting both of those field goals that you know if they score a touchdown fine I just wanted a couple of first downs right you know move the ball if you get in position at, at that time of the game you're thinking one thing I am. Get the time off the clock. Yeah. Stay in bounds and get time off the clock. Yep. How was uh, going into this weekend? How do you feel about Cleveland? What, what's your thought? What's your feeling for well, three I'll or five? What, I tell you what, Chad. There are several categories. You know, you know. There's a lot of teams that they, there's not a lot of uh, common opponents. Correct. Down the line, Correct. because of the way the NFL schedules. Right. Uh, but you know, I saw a graph. Yesterday, you know, the Browns have scored more than 40 points a game, I think, four times this mm-hmm. year. That's correct. Kansas City has done it once. Yes. Um, you know, little numbers like that, you don't think that everybody thinks, oh, the Browns, you know, don't match up, don't have the offense. Uh, and it's not true. They're, they're just as strong offensively. As Kansas City, and it's like, and I think the difference is, you know, who would the ordinary player or the ordinary person? Uh, how many players can they talk about on Kansas City other than Patrick Mahomes? You have Mahomes, Kelsey, and probably you're going to have Tyreek. Is it Tyreek Hill? And that his name? Yeah, and that's it. Yeah. So here's a stat uh, I'm going to throw yeah, at you. They're not a big. They're not a. They're not. I think what they're going to watch to do is that Kansas City. Could, could sideline them to death with a short pass. True, that's true. Uh, so there's a lot of there's a lot of variables in it. And the thing, but I, here's what I like about it: the Browns have got everybody back. They do, except for Blair Vernon, you know, the linebacker that tore his Achilles. Correct. Uh, Denzel Ward got cleared. Okay. I mean, everybody is back. Uh, so. I think you know, the Browns are as strong as anybody when they're at, the Browns are as strong as anybody when they're at full strength. I agree. And with that. this, you know, everybody can think, oh, the Kansas City's going to blow them out. I don't think it's going to happen. So, I don't know if the, I don't know if the Browns will win. I've got confidence that they can. So let me throw you some stats while we're, while you were talking. I was kind of jotting some stuff here that I'm reading. Okay, so. By, by two touchdowns or more, by two touchdowns or more, Kansas City beat the Texans, the mm-hmm. Ravens, the Patriots, the Broncos, mm-hmm. and the Jets. Every other game is within Chargers, three points, okay? Yep. And then you go to the loss with the Raiders, and then you go the whole way down, Buffalo Bills, 26-17. Panthers, 33-31. Raiders, 35-31. Buccaneers by three. Uh, the Broncos, 22-16. Dolphins, 33-27. They, got some, they have some holes in their defense. They do. And then you can and, see uh, right there looking the at Browns. it like, hmm, that's that <laughs> makes it a little interesting. 
I mean, yeah. everybody, and no, and the best part, and I love this about May, Baker Mayfield, and I said it the last time you and I talked to Swagger, he plays exceptionally well, in my personal opinion, when there's no weight on his shoulders. Nothing to lose. Baker just cuts it loose, in my opinion. And he has yeah, nothing to that, lose in this game. Possible, yeah. And, uh, you know, he's got, uh, he's got, uh, he's got big duties in front of him. He's he does. Got, uh, he's got a lot facing him, but again, like I said, he's going to have, he's going to have a full boat on his side. Uh, he's going to be able to go to a lot of people. He, he really is. He really and, is. Uh, you know, it's nice that, uh, Stefanski will be back in the sidelines uh, he was back in camp yesterday. Okay, Van Pelt did a uh, great job calling plays too. But yeah, I thought uh, I thought uh, every, and I think that's a part of his staff and the people that he's got that they're they're well trained. Uh, but it's funny listening to his one of his press conferences earlier. Somebody, one of the media people, asked him. I said, since you beat Pittsburgh on the road, uh, did you give serious thought maybe you just might want to stay home in your basement uh, this week? <laughs> <laughs> he said, no, no, I'm ready to go. But, uh, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. It's it, 305, you're the you're the early game because I think they yeah. wanted to make the marquee matchup, which is the Saints and Bucks. you know, Breeze versus uh, Brady. That's the marquee game that everybody yeah, wanted to Yeah, they think it's boost. a marquee. Yeah, and I'm I'm with you on that. I mean, I'm a Packer fan, and we're the first game going in, and you know, I'm like, God, we should at least be like, in my opinion, and and you could say, ah, you're wrong, but on Saturday, seems to me like the teams that get the bye should play on Saturday. So if they win, then they get a whole nother day of rest playing the following Sunday, going into the conference. It makes logical sense, but I also don't have the checks that Fox and NBC and ABC and CBS are sending Mm -hmm. in either. You know what I'm saying? So. Um, I thought that was cool. What before we get out of the NFL? What do you think of Urban Meyer going to the Jaguars? How do you feel about that move, and can he win there? Can he win? Uh, he probably can in about another five years. Yeah, it's going to take a little uh, bit of time, isn't it? I, I was stunned that he actually took that because you know, you know, he has a his, he's got a health uh, history. He does. Uh, that's the main reason why he had to leave Ohio State. Why left Florida? Uh, you know, it's I don't know. He must have. I'm sure. I'm sure that uh, the Jacksonville people uh, ran him through a uh, battery of tests. Oh, I'm sure. Uh, like they do players and stuff like that. But um, I was surprised. I mean, for twelve million dollars uh, a year, I'd I'd try to figure out how to like you know extend my heart condition for a while too. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely, yeah, absolutely. I would, uh, I would too. They, uh, it's you know that's where another one of those deals where you know money talks. Oh, it, it really does. Speaking of money talking, you mentioned somebody before we got on air that you played uh, high school basketball against. He should be in the Hall of Fame. He makes a nice, pretty penny there, coaching at West Virginia. What was it like playing against Bob Huggins? Well, I was a scrub, so I watched most of his stuff from the bench. Um, but uh, you know he played at a little he played at a little bandbox school, um, uh, Grenada Hutton, Indian Valley South. But you knew he had the talent, and uh, when he uh, it didn't make any difference what size floor he was on, he could play. 
and uh, he was tough. He really was. He could handle the ball. Uh, he could shoot it. And uh, it, uh, his senior year, he actually was the uh, Associated Press uh, uh, Player of the Year oh, wow. in Ohio. Okay. Yeah. Uh, they went 26-0 and that year. Pardon me? They went 26-0 and that year. They sure did. And we were two of them. <laughs> I don't think we ever even had a chance to, to beat that school, especially, even, you know, his dad coached there too, Charlie. Okay. Uh, he coached three or four schools in Ohio. And he's in the uh, Coaches uh, Hall of Fame in Ohio. But, uh, yeah, he was uh, – he was a cool cat. He really was. Uh, and I don't, at that time, I can remember, he really didn't care to go into coaching uh, out of high school. Yep. Uh, but suddenly he got he got a bug uh, to coach, and I think it was from, uh, from uh, one of his uh, roomies yeah. in college that uh, put it in his ear that, you know, you still, you know, that you want to do this. And he ended up doing it. And his first job was at uh, Walsh College. That's correct. Uh, outside of Canton, Ohio. Yep. And he was pretty darn successful there. It's Walsh Division Two now. I think I've, I think there are. Uh, yeah, they moved up. State. Yeah. Back then, back then, the big schools uh, there were uh, down in that area where Walsh and uh, Malone. It was Walsh was NAIA before they went to D two. Mm-hmm. That's what I thought. Yeah. He uh, here's one thing about Huggins I did not know, and I'm sure you did. He began his college career as a Bobcat. Yeah, he did. At Ohio University. I did not oh, know yeah. that. And he transferred back to West Virginia. That's interesting. Yep. Ohio U. He wasn't there long. In fact, he wasn't there long enough to really make a mark for himself. No. No. He looks like he was there one year, and then he transferred mm-hmm. right back. Yep. And, uh, and then played. But, he, uh, he, became, he, he, uh, he uh, stood out at West Virginia. I mean, I don't know if this thing's up to date here as I'll pull it up, but he has 890 career wins and 376 career losses. The winning percentage is 70. Point seven zero three. Right. Uh, it'd be interesting to see why he's not in the Hall of Fame. He really should be. He's done a hell of a job every place that he's been. Um, well, I'll tell you why. What I think the one of the reasons is why he's not is that the voters probably still hold, uh, still hold some of his. Uh, how should we say it? His uh, off the court endeavors against him. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not going to throw him under the bus on this show, but I have uh, been fortunate enough to share a couple different drinks with Mr. Huggins, and uh, <laughs> it's he's a very unique individual, um, mm-hmm. you know, and, and peer pressure is one thing that, you know, we talk about when we're growing up, like you get peer pressure. Peer pressure happens to adults, too, because when you're when you're called certain words about you're not drinking and there's this little trash talk going on, yeah, he was mm-hmm. pretty good at that. Well, I'll tell you, you know who, and you know who would visit him often uh, is Jake Gruber. Yeah, yes, uh, he, he would. would go down there all the time. Yep. And uh, one thing that he did learn to do is to straighten himself out after his last uh, heart problem. Yes. He, you know, he had to start eating right, and uh, he had to give up everything that went, everything liquid that went down his throat. Yep. A lot healthier now. Because at one time, he, you know, even one time he put on his ton of weight mm-hmm. he but did. He's, he's straightened himself out now yeah he has um, I know you and I are talking about high school and we're kind of on that topic now Steve Smith just became third all time uh, 1187 wins to 80 losses there at Oak Hill now for his career he just passed Bob Hurley um, yep. Morgan second and I was fortunate enough in, uh, 
when we were out in uh, Phoenix for the Hall of Fame in the Final Four, I was fortunate enough to meet the gentleman who uh, has the all-time winningest record, and that's 1,333 career wins out of Texas. Um, you've been fortunate enough to cover a lot of these guys and have conversations with them. You know, oh, yeah. Uh, I'll tell you, Mor- Morgan Wooten was one of the most personable individuals that, uh, whether you're a reporter or just a fan, yeah, awesome um, guy. that you'd ever want to meet. I was fortunate uh, enough to play against Morgan was, a couple times. Yeah, Morgan's awesome. We played against him a couple times at Goretti, and it was a lot of fun. I actually had my career high in high school against against uh, DeMatha that night. That was a little bit of fun to do that. So Yeah. Uh, and, then, you know, and then it's all personalities. Uh, and, you know, it's like Steve Smith, uh, probably one of the hardest guys to um, – you know, to break into right. uh, as far as getting to know him and talking to him on a really casual basis. Really a tough guy, but he, the guy plays golf every day of the year, so he can't be all that bad. Um, he's, but he's a heck of a coach. You he know, is. he's sent on a lot of people. Yeah, that gym down there at Oak Hill is pretty awesome, isn't it? Because I know you went down three years ago, if I'm not mistaken. Is that correct? Yeah, same when St. James went down. That's what I thought. And, uh, you know, that's a uh, unbelievable setup where they have all the jerseys hanging who played there when they, when they went to college. Well, that stuff. game actually, that game that they played St. James was not actually at their place. Oh, okay, gotcha. That was over at uh, Rockbridge High School? Yes. Yep, I know exactly where Rockbridge is at. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they packed that place that night. That was it. Was that for, like, one of those tournaments down there for, like, mm-hmm. one of the kids that was sick? Does that sound yeah, familiar? Yeah, I don't remember what it was, but it was one of those pink uh, tournaments. Yes. You know, proceeds went to an organization down in that area. Yep, that's what I thought. I've definitely been to that recruiting. I thought that when you said Rockridge, I was like, yeah. From D.C. Who, well, from, you know, obviously around here you've interviewed everybody. You know, you you were fortunate enough to interview Koki, who is the uh, second all-time winningest coach in the state of Maryland. And you've been around Morgan. Dave Rogers is the all-time winningest coach in the state of West Virginia, which is kind of cool. I did not know that until today. Yep. He, uh, 45 years. Uh, you know, he just went straight uh, straight from playing there as a kid, where he was a multi-sport ath- a sport athlete. Right. To uh, going to the sidelines in basketball. And 45 years, and he is a, he is a, he's, he was, and I say was because he's retired, as an educator and principal mm-hmm. in the uh, school system there. But, uh, you know, he's the kind of guy that uh, once you get to know him, he'll, he'll give you all the time in the world if you need it. Absolutely. And he was always, uh, he was probably, he was one of the most uh, giving coaches around me uh, as I've had in any of my, my times with, uh, with coaches. Uh, and I pointed that out in my book. Speaking of winning as coaches and, you know, big, big names, Kevin Boyle and Montverde remain the number one team in the country. You've had a chance to interview Kevin. What is he like? How was that interview? How did that go down? Uh, <laughs> three years ago when they first came up here, yep. uh, you know, they were all ballyhooed and everything. You know, they were, they were the kingpins. And uh, yeah, at the beginning when I first talked to him, uh, it was like uh, he is the king he pinned himself yeah. and you know you're on as a reporter you are on his time 
uh-huh. and you are going to do it in a short time, and I'm by and on his way. Right. Uh, so you know, it didn't make you all that comfortable. I'm sure not. Uh, but uh, you know, ex- experience on on my end, it kind of helped because you knew how to get around him a little bit. Right. And by the time our pregame, you know, way before the game. By the time we got done talking, it felt better, and uh, it was a little bit more casual. But uh, then when they came up last year, it was a whole different story. And I don't know if, you know, he, uh, first couple of minutes, he was a little a little gruff. Right. Uh, but once he opened up, he was totally, uh, for the whole time out, about the next 10 minutes I spent with him, he was uh, just like any of the other enjoyable coaches that you've talked with. And uh and then after the the championship, uh, after that was over, now we were talking, and, and uh, hey, you don't hear this often from a coach. You know, if you get down to Florida, you know, start you know, let me know so we can uh, we can get together. You don't hear that often from a coach, especially from out of state, no. and one that is well known as he is. Absolutely, and you know, and it's it's funny you say that because once I, I'm sure once this COVID thing is kind of figured out you'll probably be uh, able to go down there and golf a little bit you bet. yourself <laughs> <laughs> you bet it's, uh, there's no doubt about that so you covered Cade uh, Cunningham the freshman that's now at uh, yeah. Oklahoma State he played for Kevin down there at uh, Montvert he's a pretty good player isn't he not too shabby and he's um, he's doing the great things at Oklahoma State to uh, start the season off with but uh, he was uh, this kid 6'7 uh, Mm-hmm. Uh, it didn't make any difference where he was at on the floor. Right. Uh, it, it didn't make any difference what responsibility that uh, the coach was going to throw on him against who, whatever defenses, you know, whoever they, were, whoever they were playing. He was there, and he was the guy that, you know, in Montvert's uh, case, you know, you got, when you got seven, eight Division One people, you got to get some kids in on you know, floor time. Well, those guys would all rotate with the other four coming in. Very <laughs> seldom was Kate coming off the floor. Well, and you know it's really helped him to what he's doing now. I mean, I pulled up his last mm-hmm. five games. Oh, yeah, a 29-pointer early in the year. Yeah, I mean, he hung 25 on Texas, 13 against Chris Beard in Texas Tech. The game that caught my attention more than any of them was when he hung 25 on West Virginia, knowing how Huggins' defense is. It's like, okay, this guy's got a little bit of flavor with him. You know, Kansas goes in the other day. I called it here on the show. I said, I think Kansas is going to go lose at Oklahoma State. He has 18-7 and against Kansas, and they win 75-70. So I enjoy being able – I mean, I was fortunate enough at Goretti to coach against certain kids, play against certain guys, you follow them. I know when you, as a reporter, you do that and you follow them. It is fun to follow them and watch their careers develop oh, sure. as and they I go down he'll the line. A, he'll be a two-and-out at Oklahoma State. I think so, too. I think so, too. He's put, he's put on 20 pounds of muscle. He's 220 now. He's 6'8", 220. Yep. He was about 6'7", yep. 200 last year. You know, when you you, you stood beside him and you, know, you didn't really think, okay, where's where's all the body muscle on this kid? You know, because he was only 195, 200. Right. And, uh, but when he got out there, he just did, he mixed it up. And he just knew how to get, you know, he's a big position player. You know, he got into position, rebounds, and he could find, one thing about him, he could find the outlet pass probably uh, with his eyes facing the other way. Probably. 
he knew he knew where everybody was. Yep. And but uh, he's probably, uh, I'd probably say he's one of the best five players that I ever saw play high school ball. I, I could believe that. From what I've read and what I've heard, I could definitely believe that. Yeah. So Saturday or Sunday? I'm Saturday. Packers are Saturday. So Sunday, three o five. Is it Nick Chubb jersey again? Um, are we going superstition, or are we are we going to so. change it? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, it's all it's all a how you feel thing. I got you. I'm, I'm, so I'm it's, wearing boxy like yards. I thought, I thought they would come out when you asked me. I thought they'd come out with brown pants, brown and white, and here they come out with orange pants. Uh, that uh, was a little bit of a little bit of the past uh, with white and orange on the road. So, who knows what will happen. Keep the I, orange on, and I'll stay the same. There's nothing wrong. I, I was just going to say, I have a feeling orange pants are probably already en route, if not already, in Kansas City at this point. There you go. Um, I, there you that, go. that would be my thought, too. Um, well, I hope you guys play it'll well. Be a really, it'll be a big day in Cleveland history. Yes, it will. Cleveland Browns history. I'm, I'm really hoping you all win. win. Oh, my goodness. And, and, you know, we pull up the stats here, and, you know, it's, we're looking at no different stats than the guys do on television, and, and I have a feeling that the layoff could hurt my Packers, and the layoff could very well hurt the, the, um, the Chiefs. And I believe that Cleveland has everything on their side rolling right now, and it's going to be a lot of fun to watch I that game. I don't think it's going to hurt it. I don't think it'll hurt your guys as much as Kansas City because Aaron Rodgers is having a phenomenal year. He, he is. He's been a lot of fun to, uh, to, to watch. He is. I don't know when they announced that. Hopefully they announce it soon, but that's that's pretty awesome for his, his year. I, I gave a stat earlier today, and you'll hear it when you listen to the rest of the show. In his career, he's thrown 6,800, and I think it was 57 passes or 75 passes, 89 interceptions. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Not a bad percentage. <laughs> no. His goal is to be the first quarterback in the NFL to get 500 touchdowns before 100 picks. That's his goal. That's that's phenomenal. Yeah, it really is. It really is. We've been blessed. I mean, to go from Brett Favre to Aaron Rodgers, we haven't really had a slip well, what up. What was it? It was just a year or two ago. They thought he was all washed up. They did. Well, I mean, hell, they got Jordan Love in the draft. I mean, somebody really mm-hmm. pissed him off because he's he's kind of lit a fire that's in a different direction right well, now. probably when he started dating Danica Patrick. It didn't hurt. <laughs> well, well, I you know, I look at it and it's the coaching, and it took him a little bit of time to get out from Mike into Matt. And, you know, I think the mm-hmm. coaching last year – he was good, but he was he's just comfortable and, and I do that's believe. one guy you know, that's one guy I never thought of to be a coach, head coach. Matt LaFleur? Yeah. I never thought he would be. I mean you're gonna laugh. I'm getting my hair cut yesterday. I'm sitting in the barber's chair. We're talking sports, no different than you and I are right now. And my barber is a massive Seahawks fan. So I get to like bust his chops just praying he doesn't like chisel my hair wrong because it's gonna take a little bit of time to grow back and I said, well, you just fired your offensive coordinator. He goes, yeah, Matt LaFleur's coming in. I said, my man, he's probably going to be coaching in the Super Bowl this year. He ain't going nowhere. <laughs> it was a little bit of fun. He's like, really? I'm like, yeah, you probably read the wrong website. <laughs> he is not leaving. He is not leaving a city that's probably going to name a road after him. <laughs> they would. Yeah, they yeah. Would. If they, that's the rule. At least, if you win. at least an alley off of Lombardia. Oh, ab- absolutely. A back alley somewhere. You're right. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Well, Tim, I appreciate your time. I love having you on the show. I look catching up and kind of telling stories. And man, you pulled one out of my mind today. The Masson High School there in Ohio. That's that, I oh, forgot all about that. Yeah, yeah, I forgot all about those guys. That you pulled that one out of my brain, which was was pretty awesome. Um, good luck Sunday. I look forward to. Uh, yeah, you guys too. Yep. Pre- appreciate that. I'll be texting while the game's on, and uh, you know, hopefully, you guys do well, and we'll have you here next Friday back on the show. You got it. Hey, I appreciate it, buddy. Have a good weekend. Have a good one. I right, see Thank ya. you. Tim and Kevin for being on the show today. Had a blast with the show. Hope you guys have a great rest of your Friday night. Looking forward to David Schneider being on tomorrow. Divisional playoff games tomorrow and Sunday. Looking forward to talking about those on Monday. Until then, we will talk to you soon from Never In My Wildest Dream podcast.